Ephesians chapter 6, we're coming to the close of Ephesians chapter 6. It's unique. I'm on message 85. I keep all the data for that. Somebody asked me this morning, how many more are left? I think just two. Just we'll go next week to the sword of the spirit. And then I think I'm going to try to close out in 18 through 24 on all prayer. And uh, I trust that it's been a sweet time to you. But we come this morning to the helmet of salvation. Look at chapter 6, verse 13. Paul said, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, he said, so stand firm. Stand firm is the lead verb that flows all the way through the armor of God. And as you're standing firm, here's what you're to do. You're to put on the armor of God, to put on the belt of truth, the whole truth, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ given to you, to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, the peace that he's given to us in salvation, then we're to take up, not just put on, but we take this up, the shield of faith, which, which we can extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And then we see there that then we come to this, the fifth component of the armor of God. Look at 617. He says there at the beginning, and take, or the ideal of receive, the helmet of salvation. That's our task today. There's just so much there on the helmet of salvation. Say, so why would he tell us to take that up or to, to receive that? Well, Satan knows, and you know this, that he has already lost the battle. I mean, he's already brought the victory in Jesus Christ through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension into glory. And our salvation, biblically, is that we're secure and we have a sure and steady anchor. We just sang about that with that wonderful song. So he can't ever take us out of the Father's hand. He can't ever snatch us out of the Son's hand. But he will do everything he can in his power which of course to the believer is limited, but he will do everything he can to keep you from standing. He'd love to just knock you off balance. He'd love to suck your joy out. He would love to do anything. He can't take you out of the Father's hand, but he can certainly seek to rob you of your joy and even your future hope. Last week I was doing a, a Bible conference in Kansas and I met a sweet couple and joyful, a leader in this church, but I had known that he had suffered the tragedy of his son the day before a big wedding in his family. His son was involved in a car accident with a cousin that was there from Texas and they both perished in the, in, the, in the crash, just instantly. A week filled of joy to the, I think it was the day before, and I asked him how they were doing, and he said, it's hard, Scott. 
but we're trusting Christ. It was five years ago that this happened. And I think my just, my heart went out to them. And he said, our hope is heaven. His son knew the Lord, but there's a sense here that this struggle on this earth is not easy. It is hard. Some of you have suffered the loss of a family member recently, maybe even those of you with younger ones. And it's overwhelming at times. Overwhelming, at least in this present distress. That is why he talks about unity in the church in verse four, because as Blake prayed, we need to be a people filled with joy. It's why he dealt with marriage in chapter five to the wives, to the husbands, to the children, to the parents, because these things are not easy and they, Satan and even our own flesh work against us, certainly with work in chapter six and at times, hope just seems to slip away from our internal thought. And so we need this helmet, which is salvation. So how can we understand that in the midst of the world in which we live in? Here's our focus, three things. One, just the physical analogy of the helmet. What's Paul talking about? Secondly, what's the spiritual truth that he's highlighting for us? And then thirdly, what's the practical application of the helmet that allows you to stand? Stand is the lead verb. Here's how it's gonna take place in your life. Put these components on. We've seen the first four and here's the fifth one of the application of the helmet that allows you to stand. First, the physical analogy. He says in verse 17 there to take the helmet. And so again, he's in a Roman jail cell and he's chained, we know from 620, to this Roman soldier. I don't know if the soldier was wearing the helmet at that time. It might have been that he wasn't. We would think that he had the breastplate on. We would think that he had the belt on. We would think, obviously, that he had the shoes on. But when you get to these last three pieces, you're taking up the shield. Oh, that was me right there. Sorry. You're taking up the shield of faith. You're taking up the helmet and you're taking up, if you will, the sword. So he had this helmet. The helmet was made, you, you understand, for the protection of the head, for the protection of the brain, for the protection of the mind. They had two types of helmets in this physical analogy. One of those was made from metal or just a hard bronze. Another type of helmet was made of thick leather that was then covered with metal plates on the top. And then if you can just picture this helmet, they also had these, what I call these cheek pieces that came out. I was going to show you a picture, but it all kind of looks a little cheesy when you look at them because they try to put the modern enactment of them. And, but here's this bronze helmet, maybe leather, but bronze plated, and then these cheek pieces. And then sometimes these helmets would have something that came off the back. It was attached and it came off the back. It covered the neck. And, and, and in a sense, that even provided protection against the blows. But the 
helmet protected the head for a soldier from a couple of things. Number one, obviously from the rain of the incoming arrows that would come, you needed something to protect the head. But secondly, you needed a helmet, did a soldier, to ward off the blows of what was called a broadsword. A broadsword was what the enemy was coming to attack with. The broadsword, don't think a short knife. The broadsword was three to four feet long. It was called a romphea, a romphea sword. And it was a, it was a massive broadsword with a very big handle on it, usually gripped with both hands okay, and it was carried by the cavalrymen who would swing it, obviously at the head of the enemies to split their skull open or to decapitate the enemy as these soldiers would come on horses. And so this Roman soldier needed that helmet that would deflect the blows. It per- provided protection for the head, the neck, the shoulders, shoulders in battle. That's the physical analogy. I understand that you do. What's the spiritual truth of the helmet? The, he's taking that physically. He's moving towards something spiritually. Look at the text. It's right there in the text. Take the helmet... Here in the language, which is salvation. That's how you would interpret that. The idea here is to receive this gift, take up this helmet, which is a gift from God. Now, I've alluded to the fact that he's in a Roman uh, jail cell here. But remember, we said there's a rich background in the Old Testament of God's armor. And I just take you to one of the scriptures in Isaiah 59, verse 17, where it says that he put on, and it's speaking of God, righteousness, there it says, as a breastplate. Go to that text in Isaiah 59, 17. Flip to the next one. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. This is God. And a, there it is a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as with a cloak. There in Isaiah 59, you can look at it later, God is a victorious warrior, wears a helmet of salvation to save his people that helmet that he wore against his enemies is now given to you by God for our hope in this life. That's why it's called the armor of God. (laughs) It's not our armor, it's his armor. He dispenses that to you so that you can fight off Satan and his host of demons. Now, what exactly then is the spiritual truth that he's highlighting here. Now, he's obviously highlighting, I just said, salvation. But you and I know that throughout this scripture, I hope you know this, or I'll help you with it, scripture always sees in that broad sweep of that word salvation in three-dimensional views. There is 
a past element of our salvation. There is a present element of our salvation. And there is a future element of our salvation. And we kind of sung all three of those uh, dimensional views even today. As a believer, you are already saved. It says in one seven that he forgave us our sins. It says in chapter two, verse five, that he made us alive together with him. It says in chapter two, eight, for by grace you have been, what? Saved uh, through faith and you've been adopted, you've been sealed, if you will. You've been uh, blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've already experienced that. So we have been saved, past tense, from the penalty of our sin. We are then being saved presently, if you will, from the power of sin so that he redeemed us, he saved us, he forgave all of our sin. But that justification leads to sanctification and we're presently being saved from the power of sin. We're not perfect, but certainly within our sanctification, he's released them from the, us from the grip that once held us. And so we're in a massive renovation project to become more like Jesus Christ. But there is a future that we shall be saved in the future from the very presence of sin. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin over us. That's a process. And one day we'll be saved in the future from our, the very presence of sin. So our past salvation, just a little mini theology, is justification. Our present salvation is sanctification. And our future salvation is what? It's glorification. So sin in this thought is a past reality. It's, it's our salvation is a past reality. We were saved and it's a present possession. We're in the process of being saved, but it's a future hope. Now you ask the question, what's Paul getting at here? The helmet, which is salvation. Well, I think it's possibly all of the above, but I think specifically in this text and others, he's addressing the future. He's addressing salvation, which still lies before us, which is our future hope that we wait for. You know that this is not all there is. There is the hope of heaven. And so here, the physical analogy, okay, is the helmet itself. The spiritual truth is it covers salvation. It goes on our head to our thinking capacity. But I believe that the focus here is the application of our future hopes. So I bring you thirdly, quickly, right, to the practical application of the helmet to the believer's life. The focus here is our future salvation. The helmet protects our future and our final salvation to come. The battle with sin, praise God, will one day be over. And it's in that third category that we come. You say, why do I say that? 
Because I believe that Paul gives us a direct parallel in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9 on the application of the helmet. You can turn there if you would like. Look over there just for a moment. I think it's fascinating, and I know I'm taking you to a different text, but here's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, where he, he said... I was thinking that looked a little different because I was in another book. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God, or actually back up to 8. He says in 5, 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober and watch this phrase here. Having put on the breastplate of faith, interesting, in Ephesians, it's a breastplate of righteousness, but here of faith and love, and for a helmet, look at the application here, the hope of salvation. In other words, he gives you this helmet for your future hope. Well, why? Look at 5.9, for God has not destined us for wrath. That's not our future. He's not destined us. He's not given that to us but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've experienced it in the past tense. We're experiencing it in the present tense because we're being sanctified. But beloved, there is a day coming for you, for me, for believers in that glorification aspect that awaits the future. And so I believe Paul interprets scripture with scripture here. Say, well, what's going on? I think Satan seeks to wield the broadsword to destroy the believer's assurance, to destroy the believer's confidence. And he does that through that broadsword and it's a double-edged sword, and on one side of that edge is doubt, and on the other side of that sword is discouragement. And he's constantly after us, and so I think Paul's saying here, take up this helmet, which is salvation, maybe all of it, but take up this helmet, which Paul said in Thessalonians was the hope of our salvation. I want you to do a little study with me. It's going to be the scripture. Look back at Ephesians. Let me show you this and back up this argument of a future hope and maybe just encourage you that our Lord Jesus is fully in control, that faithful is he who called you and faithful is he who will bring it to pass. And you, no matter what angle you're coming at this, what trial, whatever has beset you, there is a future given to us. Look at chapter 1 of Ephesians in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard, so he's looking back, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and I love 113, and believed in him. You came to faith in Christ, you put your trust in him. You believed in him. And then watch this. You know this. You were sealed at that point. For what reason? Well, it says with a, the promised Holy Spirit, he's pushing to the future. The Holy Spirit, the antecedent at 13, look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance. In other words, there's an inheritance waiting for you, awaiting for the believer. So he redeemed you and forgave you and saved you, but you are to take up this helmet because there is a future inheritance for you. And look at verse 14, until we acquire possession of it. Well, when is that? That's future glory. That's the hope of glory. This world is not our own. We're just passing through. There's a future inheritance. There's a future glory. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5. Just a few weeks ago, we exposited this where we were giving the example to a husband. The example is not another man, not another leader. It's Christ in 526 of Ephesians that he might... There's that, that present tense, sanctify her, having cleansed her at one point by the washing of the water with the word. Look at 527. That he might present. When is that? That's the future. He saved you in time, but Jesus did that with this in mind. Verse 27, that he's going to present you or the church to himself, I love that, in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we might be holy and without blemish. There's coming a day, beloved, when we'll get out of this carcass of flesh and he will give us a new glorified body in his presence, that place where there's no more tear, no more sorrow, no more night, no more death, and you will forevermore be in the presence of Christ. Don't forget that. Don't lose that confidence. Put on this helmet which is the hope of salvation. Look to your right a couple pages in the book of Colossians. I'm going to let the word obviously explain this for us. Paul says in Colossians 1.4 that you, we've heard of your faith, that's in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. And in Colossians 1.5, because of, watch this, is just a description of that dimensional view, three views, the future. Because of the hope laid up for you in where? Heaven. This is what the Bible speaks of, that future hope. It is that confident expectation of our future and final salvation. Look over to Colossians chapter 1 in verse 27. I love this. To them, in 127, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, that is now, but he is also the hope of what? Glory. In other words, it's the glorification, it's our final end, it's our future salvation. Look over at Colossians chapter 3, you'll see the same thought there in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing, 324, that from the Lord you, and he's talking future here, will receive in the future, the inheritance as your reward. 
Beloved, there is a future final inheritance. Life in Christ. Life in his presence. Life around the throne room of God. This is not the end of our journey. The journey's just begun. And I think what Paul's saying is, listen, you need to put the helmet on. The helmet in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 is the hope of our salvation. And in the midst of the state in which we live, you need to put your hope on the future. Because if you don't, you're going to get sucked up by the evil one. You're going to get sucked up by his broadsword. He can't separate you from the love of God, but he'd love to remove your joy. He'd love to remove your future inheritance, your future reward. And so we live for something else. Let me explain this. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of the promises of God. I'll say it again. Hope is the confident future expectation of even heaven and the promises of God. And when you look at biblical hope, beloved, biblical hope is never uncertain. It is sure. It is sure. Some of you might say, I hope so this year, but there is no hope so with the Bible. When you see biblical hope, it is certain. It is Sure. So the thought would be here is that salvation already accomplished, yes, will soon be consummated. But I think Paul here in the midst of Ephesians 6, 6, excuse me, you become so overwhelmed in trial that you lose sight of heaven. You lose sight of no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no more sin, no more death. You forget the rewards that are yours in heaven. You have the ability, I do, to lose sight of a future hope. All you can see is your circumstance. All you can see is your sin. You might even be tempted to say, I give up. You might even be tempted to say, I can't do it. You might even be tempted to say, I give up on the local church. Maybe some of you have been hurt at times. And you begin to lose sight of this future. And here he says, you need to take the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. Let me show you a few other places. Look over in the book of Romans, okay? In Romans chapter 8, it's such a marvelous section of scripture. This is why I think this is Paul's thought. It's that third dimensional view. But you remember in in 817 where he says, and if children, then heirs, that's what we are, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 817, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him in 817. And then he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy uh, compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's future. Can, Can just for a moment, don't you just think always, at least in the West, at least in America, we talk about a time and a place and a decision where we came to Christ, rightfully so. In fact, in evangelistic events, that becomes the big deal. But in God's mind, 
There's a three-dimensional view, a whole view, that includes that beginning aspect of the present deliverance from our sin. But secondly, not only does our justification end there, it turns into sanctification where we're dealing now with our own flesh and in this context, Satan. But beloved, there is a future coming. Here, he says in verse 18, he says, I consider that whatever I go through right now, and I'm saying that for you, he says of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Set your mind on that. I was, uh, maybe I shouldn't use this illustration, but when Jack got up and he talked a lot about, he was talking about football today, right? You watch in two weeks when the Super Bowl champion is crowned and they hold the Lombardi trophy. If you could stomach it, they, whatever winning team that will be in, for some of you, that's the 49ers, but um, they, they will be coming through and every time I see them just coming through with the Lombardi trophy, trying to touch it, I think of the scene from Lord of the Rings. Precious, precious, precious. You know, and they're, I did that for the kids. Um, uh, they're just, and I just thought, really? I, that's me again. The Lombardi trophy? Listen, I'll tell you this. Whatever suffering you're going through right now, as I looked into the eyes of that dear, sweet, godly couple in Kansas this week, there's a future day. And our present suffering won't even be compared to the glory that's gonna be received. Look at 819. For the creation, physical earth, waits. What are we waiting for? Eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. For the creation, the physical creation, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in what? Hope. Can you imagine the day where he creates the new heavens and the new earth? Then, verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, watch this, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's Ephesians 1, we groan inwardly as we wait there's the future. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, I love this, the redemption of our bodies. Won't that be a great day? Talk to a wife as I walked in this morning. Her husband is home. His just back is just so sore. But listen, one day, the day's coming when you're gonna go to glory. You say, not hope so, no, certain, sure, and he's going to give you a new body altogether. In fact, look at 824. This is what I was trying to say. For in this hope, future hope, we were what? Saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, but who, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, here's the heart attitude. We wait for it with patience. Isn't that good? We're waiting 
for that hope. Look over at Romans 13. That's all over the Bible. This future hope. And there's this wonderful statement in Romans 13. Where he's exhorting us to love. Look at 13.10. But love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this in 13.11. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Watch this phrase here in verse 11. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the hope of glory. It's nearer to those now who had trusted Christ in verse 11 than the day we first believed. The Bible pushes to that future final day. Look over in the book of Titus. It's just all over the scripture. And I think as we mature as a church, we mature with a gaze at this future hope. I love what it says in the book of Titus chapter one. What a great statement. Paul's a servant of God. He's, I love that. He's a doulos, but he's a third level galley slave on a ship, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ in 1 1 of Titus. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, in other words, he existed to express a widening faith for the people that God had called out for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords practically, I love what he says, to godliness. Look at one, two. In hope of what? Eternal life. You say, I've, I've experienced eternal life. I know you have. But this is the future hope of being out of this carcass of sin that still struggles with Sin that still struggles in this context with the evil one. So he speaks of eternal life as something future. And I'm actually hoping that encourages you. We live in the state of California. Be encouraged about this, right? It's the hope of a future eternal life. Look at the text in 1-2, which God, and I love this certainty, who never lies. He can't lie. And then it says, promised, this is amazing, before the ages begin, before the world was built, before he, the foundation of the world, he had you in mind. And when you got saved, he not only saves you in the past, he's saving you present tense in sanctification, but beloved, one day with a God who cannot lie, who called you out before the foundation of the world. And so he says there, before the ages even began, the point being, you, can, you need to put your helmet on because he's going to come at you with the broadsword to affect your mind, to affect your thinking, to cause you to lose hope in the trial. And you need to realize that he's going to do that one day. Amen? In fact, look at Titus chapter 2, if you're there, in verse 11. For, it's one of the greatest clauses in all of the Bible, we'll keep going. For the grace of God has appeared, appeared, past tense, It appeared in the person of Christ, look at it in 2.11, bringing salvation for all types of people that are just listed in chapter 2. And then he says, 
in, and he's, he, it says in 12, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-control, upright and godly. Watch this. In this present age, verse 13, waiting for our blessed, what? Hope. Look at verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he appeared, he came at his first coming, he lived a righteous life, he died on the cross, but here in 13, we're waiting for that blessed hope, and he's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible on the deity of Jesus Christ, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I love that little phrase there. You see it in 13, waiting for our blessed hope. Listen, if I can just encourage you as I encourage my own heart, set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. If you're a young high schooler, set your mind on the things above. If you're in fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade, put your heart on the things above. If you're a mama in here, and there's lots of mamas, listen, you gotta care for your children, but listen, there ought to be something in our instruction, in our three-dimensional view, where our gaze is in the future. Look, look over to Titus chapter three. He he talks there about in, it's all over the Bible, 3, 5, he says that he saved us, and you'll notice that's past tense. He saved us. He's already done that, right? He, he, not because of the works we've done in five, 3, 5, but according to his mercy, praise God, by the washing of regeneration, that's the ideal of the renewal of the Holy Spirit to be born again, whom he poured out, Christ has come richly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Watch this, so that being justified, past tense, by his grace, we might, future, but the hope there isn't, I hope this happens, this will happen, that we might become heirs, watch this, according to the hope of eternal life. This is the teaching of scripture. Paul says in Galatians 5, 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, he used this phrase, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, okay? So clear there. One day the battle is gonna end. Won't that be a great day? Our struggle and our fight with sin and with death and that man will see his son again. So how confident are you? Sure, certain. It's built off the promises of God who cannot lie. So put on that hope that helmet, the hope of salvation. And don't forget his promises to you because remember in Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, I am sure of this. Paul said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? To completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ, at his second coming. 
Peter put it this way, blessed be the God and Father, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, and he calls it a living hope. It's not because of what we've done, but it's through, 1-3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at this statement. To an inheritance, yours, that is imperishable. It's not the Lombardi trophy. An inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading, if you will. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Watch this. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's he talking about? Future hope future heaven, future glory. And then I like this, and then in 1 Peter 1, 13, gird your minds, there's the thought of the helmet, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. You gotta fix it on that hope. Is that your focus? I mean, I hope so. That's my desire for you, the desire for my own heart. I think it will orient our joy back to him, orient our hope of the future, not just in this life, but to future glory. So our hope is the full and final salvation where you will be glorified in the helmet protects you from discouragement. It protects you from doubt. And so he says, take it up and put it on because your mind is going to be affected not just by the flesh, but in this context, by the evil one who would love to throw your confidence off. Who would, it would be like saying the shield of faith. You have to take it up. Then you have to get behind it. And you have to, oh man, I'm moving. You, you have to hide behind that shield against the incoming arrows. Now listen, if you get behind it, then they're extinguished on the shield of faith of the flaming missiles of the evil one. And here, you have to get behind that shield and here you have to put on your helmets. So, so very, very important. But I hate to say, I think I'm out of time. Maybe we'll finish this up next week, okay? Put your gaze upon Christ. You say, but, but Pastor Scott, I'm, I'm kind of looking towards the future. It's a good thing. I'm looking towards the future of this business. Or maybe you're a new mom and you want to raise those littles in the ways of God. Praise God. But the greatest thing that a businessman or businesswoman can do or a young student can do or a young mother and a young father with children is to begin to put a focus on the future. And as you do that, you'll be protected from his blows and your hope will be the Lord Jesus Christ.